This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to your latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast with me, Christian Walsh. There's no James Pearce today, he is uh, at home, our Liverpool correspondent both home and away. And there's also no Ian Doyle, sadly, some would say. Uh, but we are here with a we are a we are a some trio, aren't we? Really, when you think about it, oh, yeah. very much perhaps like the trio that will be running out for Liverpool next season, hopefully. Uh, so we've got to my uh, right, my immediate right, we have Naby Keita, otherwise known as Paul Ghost. <laughs> Afternoon, Christian. And uh, to my left, we have uh, Dan Kay, who can be the Fabinho of the of the. Of the free, I'll take that, Christian. Thank you. And then I'm your host, Christian Walsh, and I suppose I'm the Nabil Fakir because the news has come. Uh, we've got it on a very reliable source that uh, Liverpool have pretty much ready to seal the deal for Nabil Fakir. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping to start with. Liverpool haven't actually announced it yet, uh, but we are pretty confident that it will be done. So you might be listening to this after he's held the shirt, said his things, all those sorts of nice things that the internet goes crazy for. But as it is. It's not happened just yet, so we will talk in the present to future sense. Anyway, Paul Ghost, Nabil Fakir, he will be a Liverpool player uh, very shortly by the looks of things, so it's nice to get it over the line, isn't it? It is, yeah, uh, especially when uh, you consider the, the statement that Leon put out less than six hours or so ago. Um, I think that might have been a bit of posturing on, on their side, I'm not really sure why they felt the need to say, uh, don't trust anything except our website, and um, Liverpool are, are basically hours away from completing a deal for, for their captain. We've been doing that mantra for years. <laughs> it's not on the echo, don't listen to it. Well, True yeah, story. that's very true. But um, maybe maybe that came from the top. Uh, Jean-Michel Oulas, is, um, we spoke about him a lot, haven't we, being a tough negotiator and one of the um, one of the, the, the real t- tough negotiators of Europe. I think the only person who's uh, ever bested him in, in negotiations is Daniel Levy of Tottenham for Hugo Lloris a few years ago. Um, but it looks as though um, Liverpool have basically ag- agreed to the terms that, that he's happy with and, and it looks as though uh, Abel Fakir will be the latest through the door. I think it's a, a, a very good sign for Liverpool. I think, uh, you know, obviously Liverpool didn't replace Philippe Coutinho in, in the January transfer window. But once they started hitting form in the Champions League and, and progressing deep into that competition, people kind of forgot about it and it wasn't that big a deal. Um, fortunately, Liverpool didn't particularly struggle on any, any occasion where he thought Coutinho was missed. Um, but this summer, and obviously seeing him back at Anfield on Sunday, kind of just refocused everything and realised, hang on, Liverpool do need a creative player in midfield, and, and Fakir is clearly the man for Liverpool. Fee, from what we understand, £48.4 million, Dan. If he hits his add-ons, it'll go to £53.8 million. Mm. I mean, considering that he was sort of raised at around £60 million, £50, £60 million, and, and, and considering how... A lot of French football experts and people that you you, you know whose opinion you respect when it comes to league on football seems a little bit of a bargain, doesn't it? Well, it, it certainly does on that basis. Um, <clears throat> clearly, they've done their homework, Liverpool. I mean, I've seen a few people speculating in the last couple of days because obviously Fabinho was signed what literally two or three days after the final in Kiev. We're not even a fortnight on from that and this potentially is the second signing through the door the third really if you count uh, Naby Keita so well, while some people have been suggesting there's maybe a slight PR element to it to kind of like try and pick everyone's chins up off the floor after the disappointment of Kiev these kind of deals don't just happen overnight just on a whim just because oh we need to cheer everybody up or whatever um, 
And I can't profess to know an awful lot about the player. You know, probably a week or two ago, I don't think I'd ever really heard of him. But having you know read up a little bit, watched a few YouTube clips, he just certainly looks to be the kind of player Liverpool need. Not just in terms of like the creative edge he's going to give us, which I think we all feared and kind of it kind of came to fruition that that kind of maybe lack of real creativity from the midfield was the one thing that might cost us in Kiev and arguably did. Um, he doesn't he is, so he doesn't just bring that to the table, but he seems to have a little bit of needle and a little bit of edge to him, which I think is something that a few people have felt the squad is missing at the moment. Um, and you know, I'm trying not to think too much about the last time Liverpool went into a World Cup all made up because we just signed two highly rated young players, <laughs> 2002 with Youth and Jiao. Um, we're different. The whole landscape is completely different now, and I think. Um, all credit to the club and all those involved for the work that they've put in to make sure that when the World Cup's over and when they do come back to uh, pre-season training, even though obviously we hope there will be another couple of additions in certain key positions, in certain key areas, getting the deals done so quickly gives Liverpool a real chance of hitting the ground running at the start of next season. You mentioned there, you know, you've seen YouTube, you've, you've read a couple of opinion pieces, we've obviously been working hard yeah. and talking to, to French journalists and trying to get a little vibe about what he's, what he's all about, but I mean, Jürgen Klopp and Liverpool have, have, have earned the right, haven't they, to just sort of, you know, trust them on this one, guys. You know, the, the, when you look at the, the signs they've made and, and the judgment calls they've made and how many of those have been successes over the past two years, I think at the moment it's pretty much unqualified from, from every supporter, Paul, in terms of if, if it's good enough for Jürgen, it's good enough for me. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think if you look... The players he's brought to the club since he came in in October 2015. His first transfer in though doesn't particularly count. You can't really count Stephen Corker uh, amongst that. But uh, you look at maybe um, maybe Loris Carriers for me is is the one where you think maybe he hasn't got that one right. Even then though, that was a, a low release clause it, it at Mainz, yeah, so it was more yeah. of a, an opportunity rather than a you know a big yeah, money signer. It, it's it's not something that's um, you know they haven't broken the bank for for. A, a keeper who's proven to be a massive disappointment. Um, but, you know, you look at everyone else, you know, Salah, you know, how good is he? He's, you know, one of the top five players in the world now, unquestionably. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was in the form of his career before he got injured. Uh, pretty much ac- across the board. Um, Virgil van Dijk. Yeah, Virgil van Dijk, he's come in. And, Sadio Mane, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of the names and, and pretty much every one of them has just been... Wijnaldum. Exceeded expectation. Wijnaldum is probably the, the one, other, other than Carriers, where you think maybe he's... Middle of the road. It's middle middle of the road failed, is, like. is the ideal phrase. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm hesitant to, to criticise Wijnaldum because I really think he's, he's an excellent midfielder. But he's, he's not the one who's, you know, he, he hasn't uh, kind of set it alight. But, you know, pretty much everyone else has, has been superb. Um, Robertson. Yeah, Robertson. Yeah, you know, yeah, that was a bargain. He's... Um, he's Boxed off that left back position for years to come, hasn't he? Uh, so across the board, pretty much everyone you look at, Klopp has, has has improved, and there shouldn't be any worries about anyone he signs at this point because he, he's got credit in the bank for for years. I mean, when's the last time you felt like this, Dan? Well, it's going back a fair a, a fair while when I think of some of the uh, well, I think probably those are maybe the early the early days under Rafa Benitez. You know, his first couple of big buys were Luis Garcia and. Zabi Alonso, who came in on the same day, right at the end of the August 04 window, I yep. think that would have been. And obviously, by, by nine months later, they had European Cup winners' medals. So 
I think by that stage we all felt we we could and did trust Rafa's judgments, even when the following summer when we just conquered Europe and we kind of think, well, who are we going to bring in now? And even though I think he had a good career for Liverpool, and I really, you know, I've liked the lad right throughout his career. When we signed Peter Crouch that summer, I'm sure we were, we were just on our way to Wrexham for either the pre-season friendly or the, the TNS. I think it was the TNS game. Yeah, and I remember when the news came through, and we we're like, really. We've just won the European Cup and nothing against the lad who played well and scored against us the previous season. But even at the time, I remember saying, well, it being funny, Rafa's just won us the European Cup there, so maybe we should back his judgment. And I think, ultimately, you can look at Crouch's career and see that it was, by and large, a, a, a successful one in a red shirt. Point Gorsi made just before about you know, um, Jurgen Klopp having kind of earned the right to be, you know, to be given that kind of benefit of the doubt and to have that kind of trust and for fans to trust in his judgment. What will be interesting will be if he decides that he wants to give the goalkeeper another go as first choice. That will be, I think, the real kind of like true true measure as to how how much supporters really do believe believe in his judgment. I mean, obviously, it seems inevitable that Minile will leave and they will have to bring in a another goalkeeper. But if you, if if we start the season with Loris Carries in goal, and there's you know there's an argument that Liverpool have a duty of care to him, and we can't just throw him under the bus, I think that'll be the real kind of like litmus test as to um, fans' belief in Klopp's judgment. But I can't imagine, apart from you know the professional moaners and doom doom merchants, I think the vast majority of supporters will will kind of think, yeah, look 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 what he's done for us in less than three seasons. Mm-hmm. It's interesting your your points to the 2005 summer there. Well, just after Istanbul, obviously. A similar scenario here with Liverpool. I'd say that they're far more advanced now than they were gotcha. under, under Rafa then, and I, I'd imagine the club's in a better state as well. To be honest, because obviously Definitely. back then it was just a couple of a couple of towards you know, the little, end of the yeah, Moors era, wasn't exactly. Um, but what Rafa did in that uh, in that summer was identified three key positions that he needed to strengthen, and that was up front. He wanted the striker who could push the side favour up the pitch away from home because they only won five away games all season yeah. the year before that was Peter Crouch he wanted a, a more of an energetic midfield destroyer if you will that was Momo Sissoko and of course despite what happened in Istanbul he wanted the new goalkeeper who could play the style of football that he wanted and that was Pepe Reina similarities perhaps with this summer you know you sort mm-hmm. of see that you've got Fakia, you've got Fabinho those are two players who are very much the type of players that they want and they, they probably do need still identified a, exactly. a gap in the squad yeah. you've got a goalkeeper there I, I'll move on to the goalkeeper in a little bit but I, I do think that Kiev might have despite what people say has changed Liverpool's perception slightly perhaps of what's needed and what's not this summer but also as well is uh, is, is back up for or at least somebody to support Salah, Manny, Firmino mm. and that's where Moses Simon and, and Zayden Shaqiri have come into it somebody who's not necessarily going to play every game, probably won't play most of the games, but they will be there if they're needed and when they're called upon. What happened in between those two seasons is a, a huge lift in terms of, you look at Liverpool, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I think they might have got 57 points in 04-05. Seems to remember they lost 14 league yeah. games that year, which is an awful lot. And you think about the season after they finished fifth, of course, the season after they win the FA Cup. Uh, OK, they didn't go as far in the Champions League, of course, but they also finished third. Yeah. Uh, 82 points, I think, they got. Liverpool need that sort of improvement again, really, if there's a challenge for the Premier League title. So, I'm not saying Gorsi is, is history repeating itself, but it's interesting to see that Liverpool, sort of more than 10 years on, this is the way to get things done, really, isn't it? By identifying where, not necessarily your weaknesses, but where you could be stronger, targeting them aggressively and going for it. 
Yeah, undoubtedly. I think um, this is a season where Liverpool are kind of negotiating from a position of power, and that hasn't always been the case. Um, you know, when like success has, has kind of been on the cusp of it, they've taken a, a couple of steps back and and undone the project and set them back a couple of years. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case this summer. They're not going to lose anyone, um, so they're going to enter the negotiating table armed with all the football that they played last year. The, the the, the status of them being Champions League runners up and, and they're going to have another crack at it this season, uh, next season and the fact that um, they're basically well poised to, to challenge Manchester City for the Premier League title now prospective players are going to look at that and look at the way Liverpool played and think yeah I want to be part of this this is a, a project which is going places and I think that's going to be key to, uh, to basically sealing the deal I think it has been with Fabinho I think it certainly would have been with um, with Fakir and it probably would have been 12 months ago with, with Naby Keita as well um, but what I love about Klopp as well is he doesn't particularly um, like, when he, when he's talking about his players and you kind of think okay well Liverpool need a centre back and Klopp's talking and you think does he does he see what we see and the way he's talking you think well maybe he doesn't and then bang he'll just go, go and sign Virgil Van Dijk you know, you wouldn't have thought that Klopp would be in the market for three midfielders this summer. And he's just kind of bought them. Um, I mean, obviously, Keita was already signed last summer, but Fabinho and Fakir kind of just come out of nowhere. And, and it's a whole new midfield next summer. And, and I think a lot of people wouldn't have thought that maybe a few months ago. It's weird, isn't it? He's, he, he's obviously well known for how loyal he is to his players and how in, in public and, and, and in private he will always be talking about you know how, how good they are and how, how brave they are. But he's also showing a slightly ruthless side. And you know ruthlessness doesn't necessarily mean a mass cull where mm. 15, 16, like nice of the long knives, everybody's gone, sort of cool. But, but you know, ruthlessness can be just those little upgrades and then the people who are, or the players who are already in those positions maybe just sort of drop down in the pecking order. So, you know, that, that's what he perhaps is showing with this midfield. Well, people have often suggested in the past one of the keys to Liverpool's long period of success in the 70s and 80s in particular was the habit that they had of replacing players or, or getting replacements in just before they were past the best. <clears throat> and I, I don't know if that's always been the case in the kind of intervening decades since then. But I think there's... And obviously, you, know, you can't just stop power players because you, know, you have to name a squad, I think, of 25 for both the Premier League and the Champions League these days, haven't you? And obviously, you know, Liverpool were able to do that last season. But I think it was clear from... you know the options or lack of them on the bench that even though those squad spots may be filled they weren't really with players that Klopp felt he could really trust in the crucible of of battle in the, in the key moments um, so you know, I think I've, I've said before that even, even just today that I, I did have concerns about, about the midfield you know, attack wise obviously we're as good as anyone in the world at the moment defensively clearly we were shown up by uh, once, once Van Dyke came in, once the young fullbacks really bedded in, as the um, as the season wore on, but there was always that feeling that even though with you know our, the midfielders, particularly like Milner and Henderson, are, are honest, good lads that you absolutely want around, they maybe were not the most dynamic, and I think that maybe got found out in the final. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't see that all of a sudden Milner, Henderson, they're not going to be at the club in August. But I think what it means now is that there's real competition for places I suppose the fact with Milner and Henderson as well is that they're both knocking on 30 
So these new lads are coming in, and what? The, I don't think either of them rolled in 25, 26, are they? Yeah, Fabinho's 23, Fakir's 24, I think. Yeah, Fakir's uh, 25, I think. So there's, so there's potentially a nice blend between youth and experience sit there in, you know, in the engine room, which is you know, arguably the most important position on the pitch in terms of where games and can be won or lost. Um, and I think Klopp is showing that right kind of blend as well between loyalty to his you know, trusted lieutenants. Like, I mean, you know, Milner was sensational last season, if maybe he ran out of steam a little bit in the final. And I think that, you know, the likes of him, even if he only ends up playing 20, 25 games next season, he's got so much to offer around the club, around Melwood, around the dressing room. Um, and you know, it, that kind of iron fist of the Velvet Club approach, I think is what all, all managers have. They, they, they care about their players, but at the same time, they do what is necessary when it needs to be done. And that, that that's it, isn't it, Paul? In terms of let's say let's say Liverpool play Rome again in in, in the semi-finals of the Champions League. Personally, I'd have no problem with that that three of Henderson, Wijnaldum, and, and and Milner because I think there's got to be horses for courses. I think there's four competitions to navigate this season, yeah. and I think there's going to be such a diverse range of sides that Liverpool have to compete against. That when you look at a manager like Klopp, who who was tactically very astute, and he knows exactly what he wants from his players you're going to you saw the rotation that he did this season and how, and how it benefited them towards the end of the campaign it, I think you're going to see that you know ten, well not tenfold because that would be mad but you know you can't change every player every game but you're going to you're going to see that increase even further because he's going to have quality options now towards the back end of last season he could only play the same midfield he, yeah. he had the only three midfield, midfielders in his in his squad it's going to be a lot different next season isn't it yeah uh, basically any club who've got ambitions to to aggressively pursue the titles are going to have to to um, to have a big squad. Um, Liverpool's midfield options now are sensational when you look at it. You know, Genie Van Aldum, Jordan Henderson, James Milner, they they were pivotal to helping Liverpool get to the Champions League final last season. And like when the new season starts in August, now you you'd struggle to make a case for for any of them getting in the team ahead of the the three who are going to be coming in. Um, that's not to say that, like Dan says, that they should just be cast aside because they're all going to have an important role to play. Liverpool, hopefully, are going to be playing around about maybe 50 games next season. Um, so, particularly with the style of football that Klopp's plays, as midfielders expend so much energy, so there's going to be plenty of chopping and changing there. Um, so I think it's I think it's really exciting actually because midfield has been a position where a lot of people have groaned and, and moaned and it hasn't always been the most. Um, the most exciting lineup when you've seen it, seen the team she drop, but I think now you, you can mix it up and, and change it, and it, you know there's, there's going to be plenty of options. You mentioned the C word. We try to avoid the C word here on this podcast, but you have said the C word. That is title, Dan. Um, titles. titles. I just meant in general. In terms oh, of oh, the club titles. Yeah. Yeah. Silverware yeah. and honours. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But you know, you're right there as well. But you know, let's let's talk about the title for a moment, just really quickly. Obviously, the season's two two months away. I feel like I don't know what you think, but Dan. But I feel like this is, uh, of course, to use the word aggressive. It's an aggressive pursuit of of building a team that is capable of challenging for the Premier League title. Definitely, and I think Liverpool have to be aggressive in their pursuit of it, um, because you know what Manchester City did last season was phenomenal. It raised the bar a hundred points. It's never been done before. I think the previous season Chelsea broke the record for the most wins, and and City raised the bar again. Now, you could argue, I don't think City brought anyone in yet this summer, I think. There's talk of Jorginho soon. Jorginho and uh, Mahrez. Yeah. But obviously they will. Yeah. You know, it, it's as clear as day, obviously they will. They're going to be stronger. 
and they'll and they'll be looking to retain. I don't think they've ever retained the title before as no. a club. But all, also as well, I, you know, I would imagine there will be a massive. It, there's there's an imperative on them as a club to win the European Cup. They've never won it before. With the well, obviously with the riches they've got, now the global reach that they've got and the kind of reputation as a club that you know you, you can't be considered a genuine a genuine heavyweight in Europe until you played in these finals and you lifted that trophy. So, what you know by Again, by getting at least some of the signings in early, Liverpool are giving themselves the best chance of hitting the ground running and starting fast. You know, I think realistically, Liverpool need to be looking, even though it's not something we've ever done before, I think the record points tally in the Premier League era for, for the Reds is 86 in 09, Rafa's, Rafa's season that came close. But we've got to be looking towards 90 points. And I think realistically, to be in the, the conversation, I think also as well to give the team, the supporters, the belief that it's doable, you need to start well. You know, we need to be looking at really eight, nine wins out of the first ten games, being right up there, putting the pressure on City and United and Tottenham and all the other big hitters that will be there or thereabouts to say this is the, this is the logical progression of Klopp's Liverpool. This, is the, this will be you know, the third full season, the fourth season really, because I suppose he had three quarters of his first season. We've made genuine, tangible progress domestically, and obviously, particularly in Europe, but we have to, you know, we have to put the pressure on the teams like City and United. They expect to be up there to say that we're here and we're we're going to give you as we're going to give you a serious run for your money. And you know, it's I suppose when you look at Liverpool now, you've got Chelsea who are potentially in all sorts of trouble mm-hmm. uh, with the with the, the. I mean, Conte's there, but he's he's not, is he? Let's face Dead it, he's, he's, walking, he's, it seems. exactly. But he's still there, and the World Cup's about to start. You've got Arsenal who are in a state of transition, Flux. if you will, yeah. Massive now, transition, is Massive transition, not just with the manager, but, I mean, you know, God, they, they, they've got a different manager in the hot seat for the first time in 22 years. That's going to be big, but just in general, the whole culture of the club's trying to change. You've got Tottenham, who, okay, it seems like Pochettino has committed his future to them after all. So's Kane in the last And so's Kane, hour, yeah. yeah. So, but still, they haven't really started doing anything because they've had the whole Real Madrid thing hanging over them. I mean, Liverpool got a real chance now, Ghosty, to, to properly solidify themselves here, and 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 you know if they don't get the title, as Dan says, aim for ninety points and 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 get that third consecutive Champions League qualification, and then you are a Champions League club. End of. Hundred hmm. percent. I think um, Liverpool kind of fell away towards the end of the season, uh, Premier League season, due to a lack of options and the fact that they were putting all the eggs in the Champions League basket. I think if. Klopp's got the options to, to rotate as we mentioned, he'll be able to, um, to chop and change that at the business end of next season, where hopefully Liverpool will be um, a lot closer to Manchester City. I do expect them to, to get closer next season, I think Liverpool will be the main challenges for City it's difficult to, to know what's going to happen with Manchester United, uh, but, but as you mentioned there, Chelsea are in a bit of a, uh, a transition, Arsenal are basically trying to revolutionise their whole way of doing things, in terms of their new manager and the, the profile of the players that they're being linked with as well. Um, so, as I say, I think Liverpool are the ones who, who are primed to, to make a fist of it more than anyone else. But saying that, they've got to stop, um, you know, the, the only team who've ever got 100 points in the Premier League. So it will be a difficult uh, and an uphill task, but uh, Liverpool are well-placed to, to have a go at it. I mean, you talk about Fakir as well there, in terms of, you know, Liverpool got to hit the ground running. The good thing for Liverpool is that because they are in a position of strength here, he doesn't have to come in and score 20 goals in the first 10 games mm. or, or lay on 15 because if he's not doing it, then 
we already know that there's Sadio Mane, mm. Roberto Firmino, Mohamed Salah, Keita will be chipping in, you would hope at least. Um, you know, there's obviously Van Dijk who's there from the start of the season. I mean, Dan, the, the, the pressure's off any new prospective signing in a way, isn't it? I think maybe certainly in comparison, say, for example, when Fernando Torres signed, the last time we lost the Champions League final in 2007, now eight, he did hit the ground running, set up a goal, on his, an own goal on his debut at Villa, scored a cracking goal against Chelsea on his home debut, and the rest is history. But there has been, you know, a certain, I remember you know, when we signed Suarez and Carroll under Kenny, they came in January 2011, and there was, you know, I think it took Andy Carroll a couple of months to get off off, off the Man City. Off, off he the didn't make his debut until March, did he? Um, yeah, he, he was injured yeah. just for a change, wasn't he? <laughs> Although Suarez obviously scored on his debut off the bench against Stoke, didn't he? But yeah, it, it's like you say, it, the, the landscape surrounding the, the whole the whole club now is 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 much different to what it was. Really, you know, I, I can't remember as, as optimistic a time to be a Liverpool supporter as this probably since I was a kid and we were dominating everything. Um, now, it's you know, at the same time, we've been we've been on the cusp of this a few times in recent years and it's, it's making that final step that's always the hardest one. But it just seems like the whole infrastructure surrounding the club, both in the, in the business sense and in the football sense now, is, is in as rude a health as it's ever been. And I think one of the key things to helping young new players settle it, I mean, for example, for Van Dijk, Thankfully, he seems to take to it like a duck to water. But I think there was a huge expectation when he came in, particularly after you know the fiasco of like, the way it was all handled this time last year in terms of his transfer. When he did come in in January, it was like, well, he re- you know, hopefully he's going to fix the defence. And you know, I think it's a bit unfair on the others, Lovren, the fullbacks, and even Carrius to, to, to an extent to say it was solely down to him. Clearly, he had a big influence on that. But there was, I think he probably would have felt that pressure coming in. You would hope the likes of Fakir. Fabinho and whoever else follows him through the door knows that, listen, you're expected to deliver. Don't just think you've got a free ride for six months because it doesn't work like that. But you've got good players around you. You've got good management, good coaches. Everything's set up for you to succeed. So get the feel for the club, get the feel for your teammates and make us all happy, please. <laughs> so you say, well, whoever follows him through the door. So Fabinho's in, Fakia. By the time you listen to this, might be in. Um... Who's next, Gorsty? In the words of Bill Goldberg, the former wrestler, <laughs> who's, who's next? Um, it could be shared on Shaqiri, couldn't it? Um, there was uh, reports of him earlier this week of a, of a move for him. He's a reported release clause of 12 to 13 million. Uh, I, I wrote a little pros and cons piece about it yesterday, and I, I'm, I was on the fence, but I, I don't think it would be, be that bad if, if he was brought in as a, a sort of plan B. I think, as, as we mentioned uh, mentioned a few times, there is going to be plenty of, of games to play next season and plenty of uh, options to rotate. I think Liverpool fell down last season from a, a lack of wingers. Um, there aren't any other apart from Mane and Salah. Lazar Markovic is expected to leave. Uh, so th- there's, there's a chance for someone to come in in those wide areas and play plenty of games. Um, and... I wouldn't be too displeased if it was Shaqiri. He scored eight goals for the team who were relegated. I think they only scored 35 goals as a team. And, you know, he's got eight of them. Uh, he can take a free kick. He can play on either side. And I, th- I think he would be a decent option for the price. It's, it's a sensible move. What about you, Dan Shaqiri? Um, he's someone I've always kind of quite liked as a player member first. I think we were linked with him three or four years ago. Yeah. And I remember well, they, they actually had the chance to sign him. They, they'd agreed yeah. basically a deal. And then Pep Guardiola, when he was at Bayern, said no. He's, he's a, he reminds me, he's a 
short, tubby little fella. You know. All right, Sammy, yeah. <laughs> well, good job this is radio because the, uh, it reminds me a little bit of me and even, you know, the likes of going back a bit, ask your granddad, Ferenc Pushkas, who, you know, didn't let a lack of visible athleticism stop him having a very successful football career. Sounds like James Pierce. <laughs> oh, James is different level. Let, let, let's, let's not go there. Um, I could understand why people might get a bit sniffy or another player from a relegated club or whatever. I do kind of. I, I was a bit surprised when I heard, when I heard he's only twenty six. Yeah, I, I, I thought he, I thought he was closer oh, to thirty. Hard paper around, around in, um, <laughs> in in Switzerland. In Switzerland yeah. <laughs> a lot of hills. All them Toblerone, all them Toblerones to carry. Um, <laughs> I do think with I think with the with the right setup with better players around them, I do think potentially he could you know, I think it could be the right environment for him to shine in, um, and I think you know I don't think anyone's suggesting he's going to come in and be first choice. But I think in terms of good options in the squad, you know, we all know there was a significant drop-off, certainly in the forward positions last season, once you got past Salah, Fabinho and Mane, with the greatest respect to them, honest lads that they are, Ings and Dom Solanke, there was, there was too big a drop-off there, and that's why you know, the manager didn't, you know, didn't feel able to trust them in, in key enough games. Shakiri is an established international player who obviously, you know, as an extra bonus, knows the Premier League, having played for Stoke, for a few years, so I think you know if, as I suggested, it's a reasonable fee of ten to twelve million. I, I you know, I'd, I'd say it, it's definitely a gamble worth taking, particularly bearing in mind we are going to be spending big money in other areas. It has echoes of the Ben Ayew signing a little bit, doesn't it? You know, so obviously, us, obviously yeah. money has changed a little bit, but you know, I suppose it's comparative in terms mm. of today's ten twelve is is yesterday's five. Mm. If you look at Shakiri and Moses Simon's another one that Liverpool have watched, you know, I don't think any of us can tell any anybody anything about him. There's a couple of things on on the Echo website about you know we've actually spoken to people who've watched them, um, but they're both in this sort of ten to twelve million pound price bracket. Does that do you reckon goes the point to a slight change or or at the very least if it wasn't a change a focus in where the priority is for the rest of the summer in the fact that the goalkeeper situation needs to be addressed. This is what I was going to talk about before, because before the Champions League final, all the noises we were getting, and, and certainly from what we could hear from, from Liverpool, is that you know, Loris Carius is very much the number one. Uh, if anybody does come in, that, then it will be somebody who can challenge him for the number one shirt. Um, Liverpool had spoken to uh, Roma's, um, Alisson's representatives of Roma and said, look, we, we won't be pursuing a deal for him, we're happy with Carius. Um, you know, you, Rome would ask asking too much. Don't be expecting a phone call from us. It was pretty unprecedented, really. I don't think that Liverpool haven't done that before. Yeah. We've done that before, but now, after the Champions League final, after Kiev, does that change things? Has it changed things? And is that why we're seeing a Simon or a, a, a Shakiri being linked with the wide areas rather than say a Pulisic or a Zaha? Quite possibly. You look at Liverpool's front three, <clears throat> and between them, they scored 91 goals last season. So anyone who's coming in is going to be playing second fiddle to them, unless you're spending 40, 50 million. And even then, they, they might not get in the team, and they're going to be unhappy because they're not playing. So I think prioritising that as someone who, who knows isn't going to play that much and knows that they're going to be, uh, you know, the backup. That's fine. So spending uh, those kind of fees on, on those types of players is quite sensible. Now, it depends how much is left in Liverpool's kitty, doesn't it? Obviously, um, the Fakir outlay, we're led to believe, is uh, around about 50, 50 million. Uh, Naby Keita's 52.75 after RB Leipzig finished sixth. And Fabinho was around about the 40 million mark. So that, that's already a, a, a big outlay. 
So how much are Liverpool going to spend on, on a goalkeeper now if they're targeting one? The Anna Black's been priced at around about eighty million. Well, release clauses around eighty yeah. million. Yeah, now that's uh, you know even in the, in this kind of market for a goalkeeper, that's that's incredible money. Liverpool aren't scared to spend money if if they think that someone's going to improve the first team. Uh, Virgil Van Dijk's proof of that. The most recent signing in January. But do Liverpool spend that kind of money on a goalkeeper? I'm not sure if I'm honest. I think Klopp might uh, entrust another season with Carriers rather than uh, that kind of outlay. But if it was me, I, w- I would be looking to uh, to replace the goalkeeper. What do you reckon, Dan? Is, is, is it a sign that it's not a Pulisic or a Zahar or a player of that sort of price bracket and it's more, the not the bargain basement, but you know that the players who are maybe a little bit cheaper to relegate a player, a player whose contract mm. expires in 12 months' time? I mean, I'd, I'd agree. I, I do. I do think we we need a first, a new first choice goalkeeper. You know, I, I would like to see Loris Carriers kept on at the club and supported through you know the kind of traumatic experience that he, that he has gone through and will be going through for, for, for some time yet. I mean, like 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 Gorsley pointed out, whoever was going to come in to supplement the attack was you know is aware that the front three is the envy of everybody in the world. So you really you know. Realistically, you couldn't be spending top dollars to bring them in, but I do think there is a certain element of cutting your cloth accordingly. Now you have to, you know, you can't be too prescriptive about things. You have, it's all very well having a plan and a vision and a strategy, but you have to be able to react to events. And clearly, you know what happened in Kiev does does change things um, slightly. Um, I think the other thing we've seen with with Jurgen Klopp as well, and this this would potentially give Gorsi some credence that. If if All Black was the man he wanted, or basically Van Dyke, the Van Dyke signing proves that he's not prepared to go and pay a lot of money for his second choice. And if he does have a goalkeeper in mind that he can't get now, or he doesn't feel the price is right, I think, and and I, and I can see where he's coming from because I think you know our, our, the last couple of decades are littered with examples where Liverpool have not been able to kind of keep the powder dry and have just jumped on the next best option and it hasn't worked out again and again. Goalkeeper is such a key position though and, and it, you know, psychologically, what happened, you know, you can lose finals and make mistakes, we all know that, we're all experienced football people enough to have seen that over the years but what happened, in, you know, without getting into the whole whys and wherefores of was he concussed or this, that and the other, the reality is what happened, happened and we're all going to have to deal and live with the fallout. Every time, you know, if if he does pull on a Liverpool shirt again, whether it's in a League Cup game or a Premier League game or a Champions League final, certainly in the short term, that what happened in Kiev is going to be very, very fresh in everybody's minds. Not just the lad himself, but his teammates, the other players, and obviously particular, particularly supporters both for and against Liverpool and the media. So that's why there is a danger of it turning into a whole circus surrounding Carries next season. And that's why I kind of think... Even if they feel that, even if Klopp feels that I still believe in this lad, I still think he can be a good goalkeeper for Liverpool. I hope they don't just thrust him back out there straight away in August because I just I think it would be too much to anyone for anyone to deal with. From a sports perspective, Dan, I mean, is it right to sort of say, well, why can't Liverpool spend sixty million on Allison or whoever, and then spend fifty, sixty on on a, a Y player who can who can come in and, and mm. actually be a genuine. Threat to Mane, Salah, and Firmino. Well, I think from a, from a supporter's point of view, you want to see your club pay the money it takes to bring the best possible players to put your team shirt on. And I think you know, fair play to the to the owners in recent times. 
you know, they have backed the manager when he's asked for big backing in the transfer market. You know, the big signings of Van Dijk, um, Salah, um, Oxlade-Chamberlain. Well, the, the, the top five transfer fees from Liverpool now have all been done in the past 12 months. They've all yeah. worked out. So, so, I mean, I, I would like to think that, you know, like you said, the fact that maybe they're looking at the likes of Shakiri and Simon instead of Zahar or... The other lad you mentioned, Pulisic, maybe means that maybe they are looking at spending a bit more on a goalkeeper than what they expected. I would hope that if Klopp, I mean, he will have done his homework, obviously. And, I mean, I've, I've read, I think, on one of our articles recently, he inherited his goalkeeper at Dortmund, didn't yeah. he? So he's never actually bought. He bought Mitchell Langerak at Dortmund, who was a number two. He was right. a young lad from Australia, so he's but never he's, bought a first choice goalie. He's never bought a first choice goalie before. But obviously, it's, it's such a key position, isn't it? You know, you make, you, as, as we saw, we all saw to our horror in Kiev, you know. We, the, that kind of horrendous error if a player further up the pitch makes it doesn't necessarily result in a goal a goalkeeper can have a real kind of profound impact I think on the psyche of a team so if the clock, if the manager felt, felt that say Oblak was the one he wanted and he wants 88 million to go and get him then I think if he makes his case to the owners I think he should be backed on that basis because he's, his judgement so far has proven to be Correct in the in these kind of matters. Interestingly, you said there about how you know it's Klopp, Akterberg is somebody as well who, who has a big say in in the in the signings of, of goalkeepers, or certainly you know the the the, the path that goalkeepers mm. take. So it's 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 interesting to see and indeed wonder if you know Klopp is fully confident or with, with goalkeepers, or if he feels like somebody else would be better placed you know he's what, well, what he is Klopp is he's a very good I don't mean delegator in a negative way but he knows who yeah exactly yeah. he knows who who can do the job best I mean it's sorry to jump in Gorsi in terms of Atterberg and you should preface this by saying you know I've, I've, a, you know, I've always had a very soft spot for Tranmere and you know, I remember John Atterberg as a player as a fine goalkeeper but the goalkeeping position at Liverpool has been a problem for a long time and I think there is a feeling amongst you know significant proportion of supporters that the the you know our goal when we buy goalkeepers they're not improving, and that can't always be the goalkeeper's fault. So whether you know what you said whether Klopp is of a similar mind that is looking to assess the whole setup with the goalkeepers at the club, I think it certainly needs looking at because you know Pepe Ray we talked about Pepe Ray just before he came in and he was great for a few years but he definitely did tail off towards the end. Now whether that was because the whole Spanish era and all his mates Rafa and Torres and everyone started to gotta get off by that stage I don't know but he stopped maybe, diving didn't he. Basically, he's, well, he's, we said that. Yeah, we did seem to stop. Seemed to stop just stop yeah. diving for shots. Yeah, he starts getting beaten as near post pretty much every I, other week, has not he? But then, from what I've seen when he went to Napoli, it kind of you know he, he did get back up to the kind of level we would associate with a Pepe Reina. And, and is, is, has he signed for Milan? Or is he about he, to he's sign gone for to Milan? Milan yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought he had. So he obviously, you know, he obviously hasn't. His, his career hasn't gone into free fall. But you know, Minile came in as a, a good prospective young goalkeeper. Never really kicked on. I'm not sure. I don't want to throw John Axel under the bus here because, yeah, I remember he was a really fine goalkeeper and a fine man for Tramway. But it, it's gone on for too long to be a coincidence, I think. He is, it's a, he's very highly regarded mm. by the backroom staff. I mean, I don't know. You you don't know. They say, you know, obviously, but I'm, you know, we are aware that people do say, well, it's, 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 it's you know, goalkeepers are improving. The, mm. the, most, the most expensive goalkeeper in Liverpool history is Simon Mignolet, who, who's bought for about £9 million. Mm. Um, so maybe it is time to, to crack open the checkbook and just buy a, a top quality goalkeeper. I mean, I know it sounds simple just to put it in those terms, but maybe maybe now is the time just to say mm. we need a goalkeeper. Why not go and 
play what's needed to get the best one out there. And Jan Olbach is, I think he's 25. He's got the best part of, of, a, of a decade to, to play. All I'd say about that is, sorry, Dan, just there quickly. If, if you you're to pay the 88 million, for example, for Jan Olbach, you're more than doubling the world record fee for a goalkeeper. Mm. I mean, I know Liverpool sort of went above and beyond for the Van Dijk. I think it was David Luiz at Chelsea yeah. when um, it was like fifty million yeah, when PSG signed him. So yeah. an extra twenty-five million that was that, that's some leap, but to, to to more than double the, the the world record fee. It's weird with goalkeepers, though, isn't it, Andrew? It's, it's just it. Well, <coughs> they seem to be in this little bubble of their own when it, it comes it, to it's value a very and unique idiosyncratic position, isn't it? I mean, Juventus spent what thirty-two and a half million on Buffon. Two thousand one, yeah, 50, yeah. 60. Well, he was certainly playing against us when he got. He watched Lewis Garcia's shot sail yeah. over his head in, in 2005. But he, you know, I don't think you'd, you'd find many Juventus fans thinking that, oh, well, we, we'd be paid too much money for him. And the other thing in terms of, right, yeah, it, it, was, it would be, you know, like you say, doubling the previous record fee. I don't really like saying it because, it, you know, in, in the current climate when there's people hungry on the streets, it's kind of obscene. But, but for a club like Liverpool, I particularly in light of the news this week that they are going to get a greater percentage of overseas TV rights well it's slightly complicated how it's worked out basically they've got their way and that the bigger teams are going to get a bigger share I think they could afford it and the the other question is can they afford not to do it that I think is the question that a lot of fans will be asking and it's such a key position now that I don't think you can afford to skimp on it Liverpool could be looking at European Cup number 6 now couldn't they if if they'd have had a a top quality glovesman as as Ian Doyle says between the sticks Um, but that's just the way it falls I suppose you mentioned all black then and Allison, these sorts of players. We mentioned Pulisic, you know, I, I throw Zahar in there but just because I think he's a good player, but you throw these sorts of names who've been linked with Liverpool, you know, Allison in particular. I suppose we'll just close on this this fourth in, the, in that it feels like if Liverpool want them, they'll get them nowadays. And and, and uh, you go back to Sanchez, Mkhitaryan, uh, Willian, Salah. Diego Costa, all these players that were linked with Liverpool, Corrupt Play Anker, that was a little bit different because it was with the with the Nipro. But you go back to even, you know, a couple of four or five years ago and these players who Liverpool wanted and, and, and didn't get, you know, very, very public re- refusals, denials, rejections. And now Van Dijk, they they're getting they're getting Chelsea and City, the better of Chelsea and City, Barcelona, the uh, the Leipzig CEO. Uh, Minsplatz maybe I think his name is saying Barcelona were also interested Fabinho he was wanted around Europe it's the power of Klopp isn't it but it's also the power of the Champions League and and, and you, you combine the two and Liverpool are a serious prospect in the transfer market once more I think it's a mixture between the two isn't it I mean I remember being very very pleasantly surprised in January or well late December I think it was when it was when it was announced that finally we were getting Van Dijk because particularly after how it all played out at the start of last summer and there was a lot of talk that Manchester City would be interested in. And as a, you know, a football fan who watched City play, to me it was kind of obvious that you know, there's, there was very much a space for a defensive leader for them there. Vincent Company's been a cracking player, but he's coming towards the end of his career. And then they've got you know, young lads like, the, like, like Stones or whatever that would... That would... I, I remember being of the opinion that if it comes down to a choice between us and City, why would Van Dijk choose us? And the fact that he did in December, January, before we'd even had this incredible run in Europe, I think underlines the point you're making about the power of Klopp and then you factor in what's happened since then the swashbuckling way that we you know cut a sway through York right the way through to the final winning a lot of quite legitimate and justified plaudits along the way only makes us an even more attractive proposition for players so it's a very good position to be in where I don't think you know I don't think just by turning up to negotiations the deal you know you've got the deal over the line but 
I think, you know, I, I don't think we need to feel inferior to any other prospective suitors now when we're identifying players to bring in. Yeah, I remember thinking 12 months ago when we were led to believe that Van Dijk had chosen Liverpool ahead of Manchester City and Chelsea and there was a subsequent fallout and, you know, all that was under the bridge. I remember thinking, well, that's that done because if he's not not allowed to come to Liverpool, he's just going to go to Manchester City. Now, it was very admirable for Virgil van Dijk to basically stick to his guns and wait it out and eventually make that move. Um, a lot of that is down to the power of Klopp, but it's not Klopp's power in terms of, you know, he's affable and charismatic, but his teams aren't playing great football. If people look at what Liverpool are playing and what they're doing on the pitch and think, yeah, this is something that I want to be a part of. And that's one of the big reasons why Liverpool are now uh, in the transfer market and basically... Uh, acting like a big club, um, they have done for the past twelve months. That's uh, that, that's all that needs to be said. Let's hope that the summer continues to see them do that because at the end of the day, Liverpool are a big club, one of the biggest in Europe. And as as we've said today, it's 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 a real positive moment for Liverpool. This and and hopefully the momentum carries on. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, should be Monday, hopefully. I think Ian Doyle might be back, so uh, you don't have to put up with my dulcet tones in the in the host seat. Uh, but I'd like to thank Dan. I'd like to thank Paul. I'd like to thank myself as well for for getting <laughs> through today. Um, keep on touch with all the uh, all the latest on the Echo website, and we'll be back next week when we start to crank up a bit of World Cup fever, perhaps, and also look at if Liverpool are actually going to get a goalkeeper or Jadon Sakiri or Moses Simon or anyone else. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Have a nice weekend. Bye now. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.